Hey, this is the Proactive Podcast. We break down the body and its biomechanics from the lens of athlete-centered chiropractors. We're recording here from Proactive Health Group, a clinic down in downtown Calgary, uh, Beltline District. Uh, so my name is Dr. Matthew Jurgis, and I'm here with Dr. Alex Fitzowich and Dr. Kevin C. All right. And today we are breaking down what we'd like to call foundational movements, right? Um, so what does that even mean, Dr. Alex? So the two foundational movements that we're going to be talking about today are the squat and the deadlift or the hip hinge. And really what makes these the foundational movements is these are the two things that contribute to every single sport, every single movement, basically everything that you do with your lower body is going to have some combination of this squat and this hinge pattern. And so really anytime you're bending down or picking anything up in front of you that's that hinge right your hips go back anytime that you're need to get a lot lower you're going to do that that uh, squat you're going to bend your knees bend your ankles all those kind of things and so everything else is kind of a variation between those two it's a combination that's why they're foundational movements yeah so like pretty much in your like lower body that's where you find some like your biggest muscles like your quads your glutes uh, your hamstrings and so like the interplay and the patterning of how you activate all those muscles yeah it becomes quite foundational in quite everything you do yeah and and they're foundational in almost several ways and, and one of them is that these are like the most compounded movements and what i mean by that is if your body and its musculoskeletal system is a bunch of pulley systems that work together to complete these movements everything needs to kind of work in sync um, and it, it just incorporates a lot of your body working together under one roof uh, to, to enact these, you know, perfectly. And it is really just the most efficient way to kind of move your body. Like, like Dr. Kevin was saying, you know, your glutes are like the biggest muscle in your body. You have your quads, your hamstrings, your hip muscles, like all these big, big muscles. You want them to be doing all the work for you, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and even you can think of it foundationally as in how do babies develop, right? Well, first you learn how to roll and, and crawl, right? That, that would be considered foundational, but not only that is like watch a baby squat and DNS is a, a branch that kind of goes into it, a specific uh, discipline of studies, but it, a baby squats perfectly every time and deadlifting pretty well the same it's because they need to be able to incorporate their core before they can use their extremities and um, the way to do that right they first learn how to master their core and then everything goes out but as we get older we get lazy and start relying on our extremities to do the work and, and we don't really pull it all together so another aspect of why this is foundational is the core control yeah, definitely. Um, with the core, um, essentially what you're trying to do is in order for your arms or legs to move properly, specifically your shoulders or your hips, is they need something to push off of, if that makes sense. And so what you do when you're bracing your core is you get a nice firm brace and you give something for your legs to develop power off of or your arms to develop power off of, right? Because that hip socket and that shoulder blade, both of those are either connected to or close to the, 
to the core. And what the goal is, is to be able to activate those muscles in order to stabilize your trunk and make it nice and rigid, make your torso nice and rigid, so that you can move all your extremities and accomplish whatever goal you're trying to accomplish. So pretty much having like an anchor. That exactly. You can move your, your, your limbs on, be it your legs or be it your arms. I heard a good analogy and it's trying to fire a cannonball out of a canoe. Maybe yeah. you said that. Yeah, that's a great one. Mm. Yeah. Right? Like if you have a weak core, it's your, let's say you're trying to pitch or whatever, right. or even run, like sprint. Yeah. yeah. You're trying to fire these huge muscles and you don't have any stability to any go against. stability. Yeah. So Alex really simplified this core thing into a, into a perfect um, kind of paraphrase or or a little script here when he said, he said this earlier, uh, preventing pelvic tilting. So what, what does that mean exactly? Okay, so if, if you think of, um, if you think of your core as a barrel, right? You want the core to be able to transfer forces both up your torso, down your torso and your legs, and then also that force needs to be distributed all the way around as well. And so what we find a lot of times through either posture or um, issues with technique or a lot of you know, tight muscles, asymmetry, that kind of thing, is the top or the bottom of that barrel gets kind of tilted. And it's no longer, they're no longer perpendicular to each other. So a good example of that is like if you take an empty Coke can, if you try to squish it perfectly vertically, it's very difficult because the way the can's structured, that's how it's reinforced. It uh, spreads all the tension around um, through the walls of the can, through the top of the can, through the bottom of the can, and it distributes all the force. So if you want to crush that can, what you do is you focus more of the force on one side of the top. And because the force is no longer evenly distributed, it'll crumple on one side. So that's essentially what's happening with your pelvis. You know, let's say you have tight hip flexors because you sit all day, that's gonna pull everything in the pelvis forward. And what it does is you can think of that almost like an open scissors. And so because those two lines aren't parallel to each other anymore, that force isn't getting evenly distributed, but it's still gotta go somewhere. And so if you're not active, actively stabilizing that core, that force can go to your discs. It can go to your vertebrae. It can go to the ligaments and tendons of your spine, different little things that aren't really designed to support that much force, and that's where injuries occur. Yeah, that's a really good analogy, and I, I like when, you, when you're able to reduce it to like, because everybody kind of knows that you use your core to brace yourself, but when you simplify it down to like, Let's prevent your pelvis from flipping backwards right. or forward. Yeah. Or let's prevent your even your rib cage from flipping Going backwards or, down. Yeah. or forward. In that simple like term, it really does kind of hit home. Yeah. I feel like like I think it's probably important to um, to I guess differentiate like when we say like activate the core, it's not like someone's going to punch you in the stomach and you just activate your six pack. It's mm -hmm. it's about yeah kind of like stacking up the barrels that where. You know, you're not sticking your butt way out um, and having this huge curvature in your low back uh, or you're like sticking your chest way up trying to, you know, trying to like, you're not essentially even, you're, you kind of have 
kind of like as Dr. Alex was saying, kind of you have like a scissor movement happening. You're just not necessarily stacked on top of each other. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess stabilizing the core is not more about just activating your six pack and you're like, oh, I have a six pack and I have, you know, it's solid. No, yeah. it's, it's more about the positioning of where your pelvis and where your rib cage is. That, right. That's exactly it. Like, that's a perfect way of putting it, Dr. Kevin, is that it's where your diaphragm is, which is at the bottom of your rib cage, and it's where your pelvic diaphragm is, which is essentially at the bottom of your pelvis. And you want those two to be lined up because that's the top and the bottom of your barrel. Mm -hmm. And many people have that misconception, like Dr. Kevin said, that they think of their abs or they think of their core and they literally just think of the rectus abdominis, the six pack. Well, there's a lot more muscles in there. There's even more muscles in the front. Um, there's a ton of muscles on the side and there's even muscles that go along into the lower back. And so the idea is when you're bracing your core, um, you know, not only are you not pulling your abs in, which is what a lot of people will do, that's kind of a common one. Um, if anything, you're pushing your abs out, but it's not just pushing straight out in front of you, it's also pushing out into both your sides, into your obliques, mm -hmm. it's about pushing back into your lower back, and then even once you get better at it, it's actually about pushing down into your pelvic floor too. So you can think of it almost like filling up that core with a liquid or something like that. You fill, because air is a liquid, honestly, mm. and it's the same thing, right? You're trying to make like almost like a piston that you fill the fluid in the bottom of your pelvis with, with your breath, and then you use that to push out into your obliques, push out in the front and back, and that's the base where you're pushing off of whenever you do sports or whatever activity you're doing. That's such a cool concept that, you know, core, having core stability doesn't necessarily mean just like, oh, okay, I have a shredded six pack, but it's using your body's ability to take in air and, and basically like harnessing that air and allowing it to help create stability through pressure, mm -hmm. right? Otherwise you're just relying on your spine and the tension of muscles, I guess, but you're, you it's kind of a, you know, how do I put this? I mean, you already nailed it. You're using it like a piston. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And you're, you're almost like filling in the cracks with like the air, like kind of where, where I think you're going is that you can, if you wanted to, you could use your six pack and all of the pressure that you're trying to build up when you're squatting or deadlifting would just go around the sides, right? That, that pressure is always going to leak out in the weakest link. And if you're not even pushing into the sides or pushing into your lower back, that's where the injuries are going to occur because they just don't have that same stability, that same stabilization. Yeah. And the, and the other thing that goes along with it is core stability doesn't necessarily mean like you hold a, you're squatting and the whole time you're holding the, the most contracted core or abs as possible, right? A lot of times core stability means using the fine tuning or the least amount of like force necessary to keep that everything under control. Exactly. So you're not overexerting. Yeah. But I think the key thing is to know that it's not um, a primary mover. Um, right. You know, like I think, you know, very commonly we see, you know, people, they think a deadlift is an exercise for their lower back. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, no, it's, it frankly shouldn't be moving. Right. And that's a perfect segue, yeah, into 
what why people are running into mistakes with the squat and the deadlift is because yeah it's supposed to act as a base of support it's not supposed to be the moving it's not the yeah. primary move it's it's, it's kind of like you're saying it's the anchor it's the um i guess the platform for which your powerful muscles like your glutes um sh and your hamstrings should be using to fire off of. right so in a way we're using our core like we would during a plank instead of using our core like we would during a sit-up. Sit exactly. And, it, and I think that's a concept that mm -hmm. not everybody's familiar with. Right. But yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Like, if you look at a heavy squat or a heavy deadlift, the spine and the angle of the torso shouldn't bend or change at all. Mm -hmm. Like, it should stay completely straight. And I think that's where Dr. Kevin's talking about, that a lot of people think the deadlift is like a lower back movement. So when they bend over their lower back starts forward, and then once they get to the top, their lower back is pulled all the way back. Whereas in reality, we don't wanna stress, you know, the multifidus, the QL, the erectors, all these smaller muscles of the lower back. Their job is to prevent the spine from moving. So you take your, your deep breath, you brace your core, you make sure that that spine is stable, and then again, what do you do? You use the big muscles of your lower body. You use your glutes, your hamstrings, your quads. Those are the muscles that are supposed to be moving things. You just want to use your core as almost like a seatbelt, just where you're keeping it nice and stiff and you're keeping that area protected because realistically that is where you're going to get most of the injuries, right? That's where your weakest link is. I think that's where we see a lot of the common um, mistakes on a deadlift is uh, I think it goes down to um, mobility. Mm -hmm. We don't, I guess maybe we don't, guys especially, I don't think we put enough emphasis on the flexibilities of our hips. Definitely. So when you're trying to reach down to get to uh, the barbell, you're like, well, my hips are not going to let me get down there. So you sacrifice uh, the yeah. position of your low back to get down further. And then you, it, now your back is now involved in the movement as opposed to a, a, a place of stability. Right. So people, exactly, they're not having that hip movement, they don't have that mobility there, so then their spine is starting to buckle to make up for that, and that's exactly what we want to prevent. Mm -hmm. And you can totally notice that too, if you see somebody at the gym, um, a lot of times, even if they know what they're doing, but they get to a heavy weight where they're like kind of starting to fail, kind of starting to struggle, um, they'll start pulling the weight off the ground and it won't move. Like they'll, they'll start pulling the tension off and you can see that their body is like gearing up. It's starting to get that tension through the structures and you'll see like their legs engage. Sometimes you'll see their hips engage. But the first thing that happens is their butt goes up 100%. And that's because that connection in the lower back isn't stable enough, right? That core, that core bracing isn't sufficient and so they find a way to make up that extra movement because they don't have that mobility in their hips. And what a lot of people actually find, especially if, if they are having that common problem, if you're getting that, that lower back rounding, especially at the beginning of a deadlift, your hips might actually be too low. And that's something that we can kind of touch on in a little bit about kind of the difference between squatting and hinging. Yeah. But a lot of times if you're if your hips are starting too low, then you do need to bend way, way over and your spine just cannot support, you just can't support your spine in that position, right? And so what a lot of people do 
is actually raising those hips up, that gives your pelvis a better position to brace from and you're really not moving or flexing that lower back forward and back. All you're doing is squeezing the glutes and hamstrings and keeping that back straight. Right. Okay. So let's say you do have your hips at the right position. Um, so you're the first bit of your deadlift, correct me if I'm wrong, you're squatting to your knees. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So your hips in the right position where your back isn't completely buckled or anything like that. So you squat the weight to your knees and then this is where we get into the second very most common issue. And the first being um, hips too high, too high up and, and they're not able to have that hip mobility to pick it up off the ground. Yeah. But the, the next bit is the hip hinge. And this is probably the most foundational movement of the body, period, if we were to take off all the extra from your deadlift and really reduce it down to what is the biggest problem for the most amount of people, the hip hinge. So what is the hip hinge? So the hip hinge is a way to um, transfer force from your lower body to your upper body. Like this is what you do if ever you know, you're picking up your kid or something like that off the ground, right? You can think of it two ways. You could kind of squat all the way down, you get super, super low, and all your, you know, your, your ankles are really dorsiflexed, your knees are super flexed, your hips are super flexed. It's re you're down low, but it's relatively a pretty weak position, right? And so if you're really picking up anything heavier than like your kid or something like that, it's probably not that efficient, right? But the idea is, is that if you can keep everything solid and from that standing position, all you do is break at the hips and do a little bit of a hip bend back, you're basically pushing your glutes back. Um, you're storing elastic energy in the glutes, you're storing elastic energy in the hamstrings, and you're keeping your legs fairly straight, not completely straight, and the idea with, with that as well is that the, the bar path or whatever you're lifting is going to be either straight vertically or even a little bit into you. And so part of that, part of the mechanical advantage of the hip hinge is that you're using your biggest muscles, you're storing that elastic energy as you go down, but then also you're keeping the center of mass or the center of gravity as close to your own center of gravity as possible, right? Mm -hmm. And an easy, easy illustration is trying to you know lift something up over your head or trying to lift something straight in front of you right with the length of your arm i don't care how strong you are like you're not gonna be able to hold a 10 pound dumbbell you know very long in front of you right whereas if it's already sitting in your shoulder or even if it's over your head right it's still the length of your arm but that moment arm the distance between your center of mass and the center of mass of the dumbbell is a lot closer and so for your body it's actually a lot easier that's that's the main reason why the hip hinge is so effective okay so the hip hinge is so effective because it allows you to move the uh, biggest volume or weight close to your body as yeah. close to your body as possible giving you the biggest mechanical advantage yeah. and utilizing like the most powerful muscles in your body right um, but yeah I mean, simply put I guess it's just a matter of like when when you're bending down and you're coming back up. But it's just a matter of like, where are you bending it? Are you bending at the hips where the power muscles are? Or are you bending at your back where mm -hmm. frankly, they're, they're frankly, they're weak. Right. So the perfect hip hinge would use your core or your back 
like you would in a plank in the sense that that's not none of the movement is happening there it's teaching your body to move with the hips as as your mobile that's your mobile you know area and your your core and your low back as your stable area and that's the biggest issue is people either a don't have the mobility in their hips or b don't know how to stabilize their core or some combination of the two so I guess yeah I guess like I guess one of the question I wanted to pose would then be you know let's say I want to get down there but I can't because my hips like I, I, I just my hips are not gonna let me get down there like should I then be working on uh, the flexibility of my hips or should I be working on the strength of my core that is a great question that's a good question that's a great question because it's kind of both honestly yeah. um, it really depends individually you know, some people will have like an injury, a muscle imbalance, um, just a general lack of flexibility, maybe they're getting old, those kind of things. Those will limit your ability to move your hips and to get into that position. But part of it too is that if you can't brace your core properly, your body just can't get into that position, period. You know, we'll see this in the clinic a lot of times. If we get a patient to do a certain movement and it's really tight, it's really bad, um, we'll just stabilize the area a bit. Like either we'll um, physically kind of push that joint into a certain range of motion or we'll get the patient to push against something. And when they push against something, that forces them to brace their core. And because they have that stability, they no longer have that cannon shooting off a canoe thing. So it is, it's important to work on both, right? You know, you need, you need to loosen yeah. tight muscles, you need to strengthen weak muscles, but also that core as an underlying piece is always super important. Yeah, and I think what you're referring to there is with the SLR, with yep. the, having someone do a straight leg raise on their own, right? If they're able to push off your, you know, your hand or your arm as support, Generally, most people can go further, and that's exactly it, like having that base of support. And I also wanted to add to, to your point there in that if, you, if your spine is buckled, let's say you have an anterior pelvic tilt, meaning um, you, you have that over-accentuated curve in your low back, your pelvis is tipped forward, well, you don't have as much room to go into flexion, into hip flexion. You, you've mm. essentially moved the starting, the start and finish line of your hip joint and you've limited it that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's a perfect way of describing it. Like, it's almost as if you geared your hips forward, a hundred percent. Like, because that pelvis is tilted forward, that's where the hip socket, where the hip attaches is. And so if that's facing a lot more forward, you know, if you picture yourself leaning way, way forward, there's no way you're gonna be able to extend your hip all the way back. And then the opposite problem is also true, right? If your mm -hmm. torso is all the way forward, you might get some pinching in the hip, you might not have the mobility, and that's just because everything is just getting smushed in the front because everything's getting tilted forward. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very cool how they play into each other, you know, mobility and stability. Yeah. They gotta be both components. Exactly. Essentially like whenever we you see a lack of mobility, you can't automatically assume that there's something tight that's restricting it. Sometimes actually a lack of strength. 
mm-hmm. or the lack of stabilization that prevents that movement as opposed to an actual tightness. Yes, exactly. And so what we know for, for weaknesses, we've talked about core, obviously. Glutes would be the next to come, right? And then tightnesses, okay, what kind of tightness is going to truly limit your hip mobility? A lot of times, like, with that anterior pelvic tilt that we see, this is, this is something that I get from patients all the time. They'll say, I have tight hamstrings, and I've always had tight hamstrings, and I stretch them and they don't get any looser. It's like, okay, all right, let's take a look. So we get them on the table, they're lying on their back. Like Dr. Matt says, we do the straight leg raise test. So literally your leg is just straight and we see how far you can lift it up. And those listeners of ours who have tight hamstrings probably know it's not gonna be very far, right? They're gonna feel that pull in the back of their leg and they're just not gonna be able to get it very far. And so maybe like 45 degrees or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like four, let's say 45 degrees. And so then I say to the patient, I said, okay, well, let me do it. You relax, I'll hold your leg, and we'll see how far we can get it. And a lot of times you can get it all the way almost to 90 degrees. So the question is, what is that? Why is it that they couldn't do that, but I can, right? It's not that their hip joint isn't allowing it. It's not necessarily even that the muscles are too tight. It's the way that they're firing the muscles just isn't working. They don't have that stability. And so to answer your question, as soon as we get them to brace their core, you know, they push against your shoulder while you're doing that same test, sometimes they can get it even past 90 degrees. And this is a person that has had chronically tight hamstrings for like 20 years or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And so part of that, you know, what's tight, what's limiting that, that hip mobility, a lot of times it is that hamstring but the problem isn't tight hamstrings. The problem is that that entire pelvis is tilted forward, and so that's when you get that tight hip flexor, you get those tight lumbar erectors, you know, the classic desk, the classic desk posture that everybody has. A lot of times those are what's limiting the mobility. So that, yeah, and, and that's a kind of a cool concept because the, like the, the muscles that are too tight or the issues that are too tight aren't necessarily limiting the hip mobility in itself. They're limiting the position of the, of the frame of the pelvis. So if your low back is super tight and your hip flexors are super tight, again, that's pushing you into the anterior tilt. So again, you know, a tightness is contributing to that issue, but it's more so changing the posture of the pelvis rather than the, the hip. Mm. Exactly. Now we're kind of going off on a tangent, but these are all good yeah. points. That's okay. Yeah, it's always interesting, right? Okay. So, how do we how do we get someone to, to hip hinge correctly? I've I've used some good options. One of them being taking a dowel mm. on the, the the low back, right, right by the kind of like having a stick sacrum. behind their back. Yeah, taking a dowel or a stick. You like tape them up on three points of contact yeah one head one like mid back mm-hmm. region and right above the the pelvis there right if you can bend forward and keep that stick against your back then you're hip hinging i actually love that i think that's a perfect way to do it because a lot of the issues people have is they do think it's like a flexion extension thing they think they have to like bend their spine for some reason yeah 
But the first thing that you teach them is you want to brace their spine. So you teach them how to breathe, teach them how to do belly breaths, show them maybe how to brace their core just so they know what they're supposed to be feeling like. And then you get them off the table, you get that dowel, say exactly like you said, touching their head, their upper back, and their lower back. You say, okay, stick your butt back, keep your legs straight, and don't let the dowel come off your back. And realistically, like as simple as that sounds, that's that's a perfect hip hinge. You know, there's there's a few other things that you can you can kind of work on. Like a lot of times, um, more in like a deadlift, I like having the shins vertical or as straight as possible. You know, the knees can be a little bit bent. The thighs are obviously going to come back a little bit as you sit your butt back. But really, all you're doing is keeping your lower legs straight, sitting your butt back, and then squeezing your butt to bring it back forward again. I think sometimes even just like a mentality change. I think a lot of people are under the conception that yeah, if you're standing, uh, your glutes are supposed to just stay there and not be active. And so what you bend is actually through your back, um, which is incorrect actually. While you're standing the, and, and, you're, and you're using your core to brace your torso and the rest of your upper body, um, you know, it's actually your glutes that's firing to kind of bring you back and forth. I think, I agree, and I think that what people are uncomfortable with is shifting their center of gravity backwards Back, to yeah. counterbalance them leaning forward mm -hmm. to get yeah. down. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's like, I don't, I, like the whole, it just seems novel. People aren't used to shifting their, their center of gravity backwards, and in order to prevent that, they just want to just, yeah use their spine to go forward. Like, I think most people can understand that your glutes, you know, kick your legs backwards. Yeah. But, like, if your legs are locked, yeah, like, you're, cement you're to the ground, it. like, do they do any work? Yes. Yes, they still do mm -hmm. a lot of work in terms of propelling the other half of your body the same way. And I don't think they... I mean, you see this very classically in the gyms where, you know, you see those that guy who's, like, you know, propelled off that bench. I don't know what you call it. It's like the... Kind of like where your, your legs are kind of strapped in and then your yeah. torso's off. Yeah, yeah, the four, the 45, like, uh, hyperextension. Yeah. Hyperextension. Yeah, and, yeah. And they think that's, like, you know, all back. Yes. And it's like, yes. no, that's that's an exercise to for your glutes. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's, that's actually, that's a great, that's a great illustration, Kevin, because that's exactly what you were talking about, is that people are afraid to hinge their hips back and stick their butts out and actually use their glutes, right? You have all seen this exact guy that Kevin's talking about is that he's got his legs strapped in and his back's already straight and then he goes even farther back from like already the end, right? His back's straight. You're not hinging at all. And somehow they basically just like torque their lower back. Yeah, they just overextend, right? They torque their back into more extension when in reality the hinge is everything in front of that. It's going all the way down and coming back to that position rather than that little bit of extra extension at the top. Right, so yeah. But I don't know how I feel about this as far as, so of course when you're doing any kind of major movements, you're pushing big weight, you're, you wanna use your hip hinge. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's any value in just going through that concentric movement through your spine? You know, you're getting on a 45 degrees, you're laying, your pelvis is off. You're not teaching yourself how to hip hinge, but you're teaching 
you're you're putting your your spine through a concentric extension to flexion. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're 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 letting your spine wave more or less. Right. I feel like there might be value in that in a controlled environment. You're not doing this with weight. This is not, this is just to get your bot, your spine used to, you know, dealing with that momentum because we do always try to use our spine or as a, as a stable, you know, as a stable area. We want to keep it as straight as possible so we can use our arms and our legs. Well, what if we're taking our arms and legs out of the equation? Let's, you know, I think there might be some value to just teaching your spine. Well, like, I mean, on in- inevitably, like with any extension, yeah, you're like it's, it's known that your your glutes are your primary extensor, but mm-hmm. like, your back is always involved in a bit of it too. Um, it is a the major stabilizer, but then it also does a little bit as a kind of like a backup system, right? It right. Provides a little bit, and so yeah, there is some there is some worth in training it, but the core's main ability is to stabilize. Right. And you don't want to be te- teaching bad habits exactly. either. Yeah. And essentially, anytime you're using your arms or your legs, you want to be using your core yeah. as, as, a stabilizer, stable. As, as a stabilizer, not as a mover. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's a great question. I like um, generally. Generally, I would say that because people are always scared to flex their spines. They're like, "Oh my god! Like I'm gonna get a disc herniation or like these different things." So. Flexing your spine in the way that Matt's describing is only dangerous if it's under a compressive load, specifically. Mm-hmm. So even like a deadlift, it's kind of like a gray area, but that's not even a compressive load. It's not as big of a deal. We're talking about like a squat. You wouldn't want the bar on your back and going through that flexion. Like that is an absolute recipe for disaster. But if you do it unloaded, your spine is really meant to be like, pretty damn mobile like even though you're supposed to try to stabilize it whenever you do any of these Mm -hmm. sports or any of these these activities Mm -hmm. like if you look at somebody who is really flexible and can do like a front bend standing up where their face is like at their knees that is totally fine that's totally fine going through that flexion extension cycle of the lumbar spine is actually good even you know it, it helps the discs Cycle right. through fluid, like that right. kind of and stuff. This is true, yeah. I'm also thinking, like, as much as we do use our spine as that stable base, that foundation, there are also times where we use it to, to create, like, a, a recoil effect. Like, if I'm throwing a kick, right, my I'm going to be rotating my body, extending my body, right, and you almost use that spine bending, like... Um, like a coil. Yeah, kind of like right? an elastic you're, spring. Yeah, you're building up kinetic energy in your core and then you're letting it loose, right? Mm-hmm. So there are times when you, you are going to use the spine's movement to, to develop energy and strength, but you don't, people, especially if you're doing big, big lifts, that, that's not something you want to do. Yeah. And generally people are doing that too much and not relying on their shoulders or their hips enough as, a, as opposed to, you know, the other way around. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And like, like your example, you know, you're a Muay Thai fighter, you're throwing a kick. First of all, you don't have a bar on your back. It's not compressing those discs. You don't have to worry about any of those things. And then on top of that, yeah, you're throwing a kick and yeah, you want some snap, you want some elastic energy storage, like that's all good. 
but you're also not going to completely relax your abs. Like if any, if any fighter, when they go to kick, if you looked at the way that their core is braced, it's super solid. And that is exactly what we're talking about. That's how you transfer that energy from the lower body to the upper body. Because if you try to do that and your core wasn't braced, then you probably wouldn't even be able to move at all, right? So yes, it, it's all it's all relative, right? Like that elasticity, that recoil, perfect for some sports, but you still want to supplement it a little bit with with core bracing, that kind of thing, right? Right, still bracing your core, yeah. right? Like uh, trying to throw a kick. Imagine your low back's the only thing working and not your abs. Right? Yeah. Like how do you build that recoil, that that uh, elastic energy in that case? You yeah. just don't. Yeah. You have a loose end on one end, right? So all very good concepts to get right into. So we've talked a lot about deadlifting. Um, the next thing up on the menu that we need to hit is squats. So what is the mechanical advantage of squatting over deadlifting um, and, and how, why is it foundational? So the, the main mechanical advantage, you know, we talked about the deadlift using the big lower body muscles and we talked about specifically like the glutes, the hamstrings, um, not really the lower back, but kind of the lower back. Um, whereas the squat is really the most efficient way to use your leg muscles, right? Again, it's your, you know, it's your quads, it's your calves, it's your hamstrings. That's the way that you're going to be able to explosively transfer power for whatever sport you're doing, right? You know, when you're doing a deadlift or a hinge, um, if you look at the actual joint angles, the joint angles don't move that much. They're not as big as they would be in a deep squat, right? Where you have that dorsiflexion, that knee flexion, that hip flexion. So it's part of that is just getting uh, muscle recruitment and getting a solid motor pattern in a different range of motion with different joint angles. Totally. Yeah, and and anytime you're pushing off, um, trying to propel yourself, a squat's going to come into that. Right? Yeah, right. it's it's the best way for you to learn to use your legs for whatever it is that you're going to do. And part of that is with the bracing, part of that's with mobility and flexibility, that kind of thing too. But yeah, that's that's the way that you learn to use your legs properly, squatting. And you just take advantage of like literally all the power in your legs because it involves the ankle joints, the knee joints, the hip joints. Whereas deadlift is primarily just the hip joints. So here we have like a three joints to one. Exactly, exactly. And, and a lot of these, like, the difference between a hinge and a squat is a squat is more applicable to a lot of more like explosive movements, a lot more sports, like that kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. just as Kevin's saying, if you're to try to jump as high as you could, you, and you looked at that in slow motion as you were coming up, you get that classic triple extension that we see in sports, right? And throwing and jumping and all those things. You get the ankles, your toes pointing down, that's using your calves. You get the straightening of, that, of those knees, which is the quads and the hamstrings. You still get that extension of the hip, which is that, the glute and the lower back. So it's, it's really, you know, there are some similarities and some differences between the squat and the deadlift, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I like to think, you know, if squats on the top of the pyramid coming down from that jumping, skating, running, you name it, any kind of exercise, uh, can kind of foundationally taken back to that. So, I mean, 
it's a different movement, but but the error in it is often the same. The big issue with it that people run into is often the same, which is the pelvic positioning, mm. pelvic control. You're still, it's still an issue of people are not keeping their spine a stable place, buckling forward, buckling backwards. Exactly, like a super common one in the squat, probably lots of people have heard of this before, is the concept of the butt wink. That you can keep your spine straight down to a certain depth, and then as soon as you go past that depth, your butt tucks under. So why does this happen? Part of this is the shape of the anatomy of your hip socket and your hip joint. The biggest thing though, again, is just that anterior pelvic tilt, that office worker position uh, that we talk about again and again. But if you're compromising your core in order to have that open scissors position, that anterior pelvis position, um, and you can't properly brace, then that butt wink is a direct, uh, a direct sign of that lot loss of stability, right? You can see as they go down into that butt wink that that lumbar spine flexes forward and you're getting a ton of tension all through the discs, all through the multifidi, all the ligaments in the lower back, and really it's just kind of that, that weakest link that shows up again. Right, and for our listeners, when he says butt wink, it's literally you get to the bottom of your squat and your pelvis starts to curl underneath you. Yes. It starts to kind of wrap underneath you. And, and you brought up a good point, which is there is functional reasons why you... So basically when you're squatting, if once you're butt winking, you've gone far deep enough, your body, you physically aren't ready to go any further. Yeah. The way to fix that, well, there can be functional reasons, right? Core stability or hip mobility, more or less. You, you might not be ready to go any further because you need there's some work to do there. Or option B, you structurally aren't built to go as deep as the other guy. And this is also a very interesting topic is what are the, to the, to the main things that are going to dictate your structural depth? So, so the main two things are the depth of the acetabulum, as it's called which is the actual socket of the hip. Mm -hmm. And in the hip, it's, it's pretty, pretty deep. And then the ball of your hip socket, which is on your femur, right, your thigh bone, when those come together, that interaction between that ball and socket will dictate how, where your hips should be when you squat, how deep you can go, all those kind of things. In general, if that hip socket is really, really deep, then there's almost like a little ring of bone that stops that thigh from moving, that person isn't gonna be able to squat as deep, but it also um, makes them stronger in kind of those middle ranges. Whereas some other people that have a really, really shallow hip socket, they might be able to get into a really, really low position, but they don't have that same strength because they don't have the bone supporting it, right? So it's, it's a lot of the way that you, were, that you were born, a lot of the way you were made. Yeah, super, cool concept that we we are literally born with structural differences and there's a demographic too which we find more of that western european will have the deeper sockets and you can find most other places and particularly eastern europe and will have a, a shallower hip socket can squat much deeper um but the cool thing sorry i'm losing my my headspace here Oh yeah, another thing you'll notice is people that do have that deeper 
hip socket, when they go into that squat, their feet are, will, will be more forward, mm. right? You get that, that's, I mean, there's so much to unpack on that one. Right. Um, yeah, because like, yeah, the physical structure of our, yeah, of our femurs, the acetabulum, like with, with the direction that the acetabulum is facing, um, yeah, it can dictate a lot in terms of, so I mean, yeah, there's so much information out there right now in terms of like what a perfect squat looks like. Um, and there's a lot you can do in trying to improve mobility, but frankly, sometimes, yeah, if, you, you're, if your anatomy is not going to let you get the quote-unquote ideal squat, then that's as far as you go. And that's why it may be useful to work with a professional to, to find out what your, your squat is going to be because it's right. going to be specific to everyone, right? Like I have a shallow hip socket, so I do point my toes pretty a little bit outwards when I'm going into that deep squat. And it, the reason being, it provides more clearance for me at the hip mm -hmm. to use that full range of the squat. I'm, I'm basically taking my hips away from just smacking the top of the bone there right. of my... Uh, acetabulum which is the the socket of my femur and that's that's a great way to put it like in order to squat to a certain depth like you're saying you, you kind of use it to clear your hips out of the way and that's that's 100 percent true like if you have someone with deep hip sockets they need to get their legs out of the way so that they can squat but because of the bone that's keeping the hips pointed forward they can't bring their hips out so what do they do they push their knees more in front Whereas someone like you, like you said, your, your, your toes are turned a little bit farther out, your hips are set wider out, your knees have that diagonal or that horizontal um, area to travel, whereas with you, if you try to squat with a close stance with your, with your feet close together, pushing those knees out really far in front, that probably wouldn't work for you either, right? Right. Because you need to, you, essentially you need to get the hips and the knees out of the way somehow. So you, yes. either do, you either do that forward or you do that to the side or a mix of both. And you made a good point when you said people with deep hip sockets will tend to have to kind of push their knees forward more. Well, then you'll find these people are also leaning very much forward mm -hmm. because it, it puts more need on their body to counterbalance by shifting their weight backwards, which can be very hard. It can, it can be. And that's, that, that is a great way to put it is to counterbalance. Like if you, if you looked at a really good squatter from the side and you cut them in half right down the middle of their foot, chances are that 50% of their body mass would be behind that middle line and 50% of their body mass would be in front of that line. And it's same with the hinge too, right? Is that as soon as part of your body goes forward, part of your body has to go back to counterbalance and it it seems pretty obvious but it, it it's just a lot of people don't really pick up on that and a lot of people don't really fully understand that and once you kind of have that front back balance you know a lot of times it can be uh, but obviously like pretty effective. That, that affects what the ideal squat form looks like for you yes yeah um, because like, yeah if like sometimes you know you might your your head might lean way forward to try and counteract uh, the weight of the, the shifting of your hips backwards. Um, but when in fact, you know, a lot of people would call that inappropriate or you're, you're sacrificing your back, but actually that might be appropriate for you. Uh, it all really depends on the anatomy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and part, part of this is not to say like, 
you know, you were dealt a bad hand, sorry man, you got these bad hip sockets, you'll never be able to squat this way. It's not quite like that. It's more about taking advantage of what's the best style for you based on your structure. And then yeah. on, on top of that, your function can improve or get a little worse, you know, kind of within that, within that range. You know, you can always make asymmetries go away. You can always stretch tight muscles. You can always strengthen weak muscles. You can always do this to improve your squat and change the way that you're doing it a little bit. And you know, you might get a little lower, you might get a little wider, like whatever it is that you're trying to work on. But mimicking somebody else's style verbatim a lot of times isn't helpful because you just don't have the same bones as them. A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's why, you know, not everybody's going to be an ass to grass squatter. Not everybody. And and it's more important to realize that everybody's different. Everyone's squat can be slightly different than assume that you know, because you can't get that low, it's an issue or or that you need to force it. And sometimes, you know, just, you just go as far as you can maintain a good form and that's enough. Like that should be enough. And as you work on things, you'll be able to get lower. But, um, I thought that was just a really cool point that I wanted to kind of bring up once again, is if you draw a line front to back, 50% 50% of their weight behind them and 50% in front of them. And the, the cool thing about that is when you turn your legs out and bring your legs more to the side, right? When you have that foot flaring outwards, that shifts that weight closer to the center line and therefore puts less demand on you to try and counterbalance. Really cool concept. So that alone can dictate, you know, how, how deep they can go. And that's part of it too, like really taking into conception you know, a lot of people think of like a stick figure, that a stick figure is squatting up and down, but it's not two-dimensional, it's three-dimensional. And so, just because you can't push your knees straight forward, doesn't mean like, oh well, I can't squat. It's like, well, you can push them out at an angle. Or once you get really wide, then you're right, you bring that center of mass closer to that center line, and then you don't have that as large of a deviation front and back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why someone it doesn't feel comfortable shifting their weight backwards by hinging and kind of pushing back is because they have underdeveloped glutes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Core bracing, underdeveloped core glutes. Bracing part of it, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. Well, we really unpacked a lot with this one. Um, a final point is, so not only is this foundational, for all those reasons we've listed above, you know, you're using these in all these different types of movements. This is the, the most efficient way to move. Um, you're preventing injury, you're optimizing performance, but also you're teaching your body joint sense. You're teaching your body proprioception, it's called, to be able to, your body knows exactly where your arms and your legs and your joints are positioned at any given time, right? So this is gonna, exercising and doing your squats and deadlifts is the best way to train your nerves. Yeah, it's, it's, fan, it's a fantastic way to ingrain those motor patterns, uh, especially if you're doing it really heavy once you get good at it. Um, it can really affect the firing of the nervous system. Um, it affects the order with which the muscles fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that concept of proprioception is very, very valuable because 
you can think of that as the most constant stream of information going directly into you, not even just your brain, but your spinal cord at all times. And you know, if you watch somebody do a really heavy squat or a really heavy deadlift, sometimes that'll take four, five, six seconds, you can see them adjusting their joint angles. You can see them feeling out the weight essentially because the weight's giving them feedback back, right? In their brain, they're like, okay, I can feel the way my knee feels, I can feel how my hips are feeling, okay, contract the glutes, like brace the core. Like it's it's one of the few things that's a real-time input directly to your own brain about your own performance. And if you can learn to harness that, there's almost nothing more effective for sport performance than learning how to feel your own body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and your body's really good at, at finding out what's, what puts you in balance. Yeah, right? it, it knows. It knows. It'll, it'll look for that. And you know, like you know the feeling when you're about to lose balance or you slip and fall, like you have that mini heart attack and that's your spinal cord like immediately signaling to you like, hey buddy, you just slipped on something, your balance is off, you're about to fall, you better stick out your other leg in order to catch yourself, stuff like that. Like that's a perfect example of the proprioceptive system. Mm-hmm. And, and squatting and deadlifting and these big compound movements train it better than anything. Like they really train it quite well. Another cool idea of, of just your body trying to find balance is if you see someone squatting a lot of times, let's say their right foot is pointing outwards a little more than it should be, well their, right, their left foot might point inwards a little bit to try and normalize that. And then your, your whole pelvis is kind of shifting to compensate mm-hmm. for that. And eventually your whole body is tuned a little degrees this way and that way to try and bring you back to center line to try and bring you back to, you know, what it thinks is balance, perfect balance. Yeah, and, th- and that's a great way to kind of try to reverse that, because you're right, like, your brain gets this information from your muscles, from your joints, from your tendons, from the joint capsules, like a lot of this information, and a lot of times it will just feel that things feel the same on both sides because the tissues are tighter. Mm-hmm. or because the pelvis is tilted on that side, mm-hmm. or because that right foot is flared out a little bit more. And that's where, you know, going to see an expert to get that uh, analyzed. A lot of times video review will, will show you those things. And that's when you kind of have to work a little bit against that proprioceptive system that you're like, okay, I know how it feels in my brain, but it's got to look this way. And if anything, you can then use your proprioceptive system you know to do like 10 second eccentric squats or something like that like where you're really feeling the way that your feet feel the way your knees feel the way your hips feel and essentially rewriting that old program that was flawed you rewrite it with new relevant information with this this proprioceptive system Mm -hmm. absolutely And, and then just talking about it it becomes very evident that there's so much to unpack here and Dr. Fitzwitch, uh, power lifter, does these big lifts and he knows that this is something that you can go into great detail with. Um, but it's still important to get to get that first step. First, for, no matter who you are, this is relevant, right? Maybe you're not going into the most amount of detail, but no matter what you do day to day, whether you're an athlete or not, 
getting this foundation set is going to keep you out of our office. Um, it's gonna, it's just gonna make your life way easier. You're, you're, you're gonna be better at anything athletic. You're not gonna get hurt as much. Uh, it, it's just, just what you need to do, kind of. Kind of like you said, like you use it every day, whether you picking up your groceries, bending down, tie your shoes, these, these kind of movements that you, yeah. you see in everything you do, not All just in the gym. Walking, running, yeah, yeah. anything. Getting up from sitting. All right, well, that covers a lot today, so let's probably leave it at that. Thank you to all our listeners again for the support. Appreciate it, and I hope you found some value out of this today.